when you when you hear some names, what do you think about? If I were to say, oh, um, Andre the Giant, or Hulk Hogan, or Ric Flair, what are what what do you think about? Wrestling. Yeah, you, I don't want to admit that I know that, but yeah, I think about wrestling. Or you think about uh, you think about those days maybe when you were a kid, or and I remember those days when when I would watch those things on Saturday, and and you'd see the, these guys in these these little bitty rings, and they were and they were wrestling, and and uh, and then it progressed when I got to be you know a, a young adult. All of a sudden, it became not just pro wrestling or it became the WWF, I think, the World Wrestling Federation, and 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 uh, watching that. And sometimes, even when Tim, my son, was was little, we would we would watch those things on Saturday night, and we would see uh, Hulk Hogan and some of the others. And then then it became, I guess, WWE. I don't know what the E stands for uh, anymore. And and then I saw in the newspaper the other day two things that caught my attention. One, that the WWE, not WWF anymore, uh, is, is starting their own channel. And, it's the, and they're, they're going to be a part of the OTT, Over the Top. And for those of you who don't know what Over the Top means, I didn't know for sure what that was talking about either until I read the article. Uh, over the Top, OTT, is our television shows that now you subscribe to on the Internet. And so they're not going to be shown over even cable TV. You won't watch them on your television, television unless you can bring the internet through your TV. And um, but you'll have to subscribe to those channels individually. Uh, and they're going to launch that here uh, this year sometime. Uh, and you'll be able to watch WWE and all of those things that they do. Uh, all of their twelve, it said, um, things WrestleMania and things like that uh, every every day. And in fact. There are a lot of people who, who really buy into that, don't they? When I was a chaplain down at, down at, uh, at uh, Camp Pendleton, I was, I was working uh, from an office that was right across the street from the base theater. And it, it, was, not a, and it was not unusual to see that the WWF at that time was going to be bringing in a show. They were going to have wrestling there at Camp Pendleton, and those things would sell out. All these Marines and the, and the sailors would just buy all these tickets to go watch these, these wrestlers. And then I read in the newspaper and, and then heard it on the radio that last Sunday morning, before the 49ers played, and who did they play against last week? I already forgot. Green Bay, before the Green Bay game, that was it. When they were in Green Bay, the 49ers brought in Ric Flair to be the motivational speaker for the 49ers. So apparently, it must work, because they won the game. And so, you know, if you know Ric Flair, that guy's weird. But, but they brought him in as a motivational speaker so that they would go out and play up to some level. Um, back in November, Barb and I went to we took uh, we went to Disneyland with with our with Courtney and and Josh and and the three boys and 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 Jacob and Andrew are seven and and five at the t- right now and and uh, almost going to have birthdays here real soon but 
but they're seven and five, and they're the perfect age to go to Disneyland because, because everything is real. But they're struggling with that. What's real and what's not real? And, and Andrew was, you know, he was, he was the five-year-old. He was, just, he was just enthralled with everything. And he, and he would say, you know, he would be talking to us. He'd walk in and he said, well, that stuff's not real. It's not all real, is it? And, he, and we'd say, no, it's not all real. You know, it's, it's make-believe. And, and, and he'd say, yeah, but, but on, that, on that cruise thing, the, the, talking about the jungle cruise, he said, I know it's not all real. But he said, that hippopotamus was real and those elephants were real. I know. And as adults, we kind of know it's not. But do you remember the times when, when all of a sudden you realized that the things you thought were real weren't? When, when you finally had to acknowledge, okay, pro wrestling is not real wrestling. It's scripted. And they're not really fighting. Or that Disneyland, that the characters are not real and the stuff you're seeing is not real. They're wearing costumes. And, and you know, and I know we just went through Christmas and that you found out at some point that Santa Claus maybe is not real. And I'm sorry, some of you, I'm probably disappointing you now. So, man, first of all, you tell me that Ric Flair and the WWF isn't real and now Santa's not real either. Oh, man, glad I came to church today. I'm sorry that... that to disappoint you. You know, life is, you know, we, we deal with those things. We understand those are childhood things. We grow up, you know, the tooth fairy. You've, you've caught your parents putting a dollar under your pillow, maybe, or a quarter or a nickel or whatever it was your tooth was worth to the church tooth fairy. But there are other things that we also thought were real and, and we find ourselves questioning, don't we? Maybe you fell in love with somebody and you thought it was real, but they didn't feel the same way that you did. Or maybe at some point in your life, you, you really thought that a friendship was real. And you invested in that friendship. And you thought this was a person that you'd be able to count on, or these were friends that you could count on, and they disappointed you. And, and you find yourself sometimes, if you're human, saying, you know, is anything real? Is there really anything out there that is real? Because it seems like we keep finding disappointments, don't we? Things that we think were real find out that they, that they disappoint us, that the people we think are real disappoint us. But I want you to know that that there is some good news, that there is something that is real. And in fact, as we're as we're kicking this off today, thinking about how we begin, how we begin our Christian walk, how, what the things are that we have to know, and that the and that the the disciplines and the things that have to be there, um, that that there is there is something that is real in this. And that's why I turned to, had you turn to 1 John today. I wanted to begin there because in 1 John, John is talking about having real faith. And that's what we're talking about today, real faith, here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And that's where we're going to be. 1 John is all about having real faith, having real relationships, having 
having a real relationship with God and making a real impact on our world and 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 those who are around us because because we've all heard that critique and and I want you to fill in the blank the church is full of yeah hypocrites you've heard that too right and you know sometimes we take that statement and we say see people don't want people don't want to be saved they don't want to know who Jesus is they don't want to go to church because look at what they say about the church but when I hear that I think just the opposite I think it tells me that people really do want to know what is real they really do want to know that God is real they really do want to have a relationship with him they're just not sure where they can find it they're not sure where they're going to see something that is real. And so, um, 1 John, when we look at this, was written by the Apostle John, who at the time that he wrote it was about 90 years old. He writes it right about 90 AD. He is the last of the original 12 disciples or apostles to be living. And, and all the others have been martyred, martyred. They've been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And John is going to be martyred as well, but he just isn't there just yet. He's, he's been abused a lot, but uh, in ways that we don't even want to think about. But he's not quite there just yet. And he's living in Ephesus where he has been the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And, and it's toward the end of his life, and he writes this letter, or these two letters that we have actually, first and second John. And, uh, and in first John, the subject is really how to live out real faith. How do, you, how do you begin to show that kind of faith? How do you live it out in your life? And the reason why I think he chose that is because um, no one is going to embrace faith that, that we ourselves, who claim to be Christians, don't embrace. If they don't see it in us, if, they're not, if they don't see us embracing it, then they're not going to believe. In 1 John chapter 5, going all the way back to the last chapter of this book, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, uh, is there in your sermon notes, it's actually two times in your sermon notes today, Paul, uh, John says this, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you take your sermon notes and you turn them over, you'll notice that on the back, it's there as a memory verse as well. And so each week, I'm going to give you a memory verse, and this is your memory verse. This, this, this passage that John shares, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you will know that there's something that is real that there is something that's not going to disappoint you, so that there is something that you can hang your hat on and you can, you, can, you can hang your life on it and you can embrace it and it's never going to disappoint you, but it's also going to make a difference in other people's lives. And so this morning what I want to do is share three factors for a real faith, three factors for a real faith and why this is so important for you right now. Why it is so important that you know what real faith is and that you have that real faith in your life. If you're going to walk in discipleship, if you're going to grow to be uh, a fully uh, grown, developed, functioning believer in Jesus Christ, then it has to start with a foundation that is real and it has to be that foundation of faith. 
So why is it so important to you? Let me, let me share three reasons why it's important. And I really didn't give any place to write this in. And you're just going to have to fill it in uh, as we go here. But let me share three things. First of all, because I believe that we want to know God. We want to be able to hear his voice and we want to experience him in our, in our daily lives. And so if that's you, if you say, yeah, I want to know God, I want to hear him, I want to experience him, then that's why real faith is so vitally important. But secondly, it's vital, it's important to you today because if you're like me, you want your children and your relatives to know Jesus Christ and have a vital experience relationship with him as well, don't you? Does anybody here who is a Christian want to raise your hand and say, I really hope my kids never trust Jesus to be their Savior or my grandkids never trust Jesus to be their Savior? Of course not. We all want that for our families, don't we? Whether they are grown kids or whether they are little kids or whether they're grandkids, we want them to know Jesus Christ. We want them to have that relationship. And it's vitally important that I have that relationship if I want my kids to have it. If I want to be able to show them how they can have it, then they've got to be able to see it in me. And then thirdly, because you want those that you love and those who are friends and those who you are acquaintances to know Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here who's going to raise their hand and say, man, I don't want anybody I know. I don't want my neighbor to know Jesus. I don't want, I don't want the person across the street to know Jesus. I don't want my coworkers to know Jesus. No, we want them to know him, don't we? We want them to have a relationship with him, but they need to see that relationship as real and vital and, and, and important in our lives. And that happens through having real faith. And so that's why this becomes the foundation of everything else that we do in our Christian lives. So let me share with you those three factors for a real faith. The first one is that real faith has a real Savior. John tells you he has, that real faith has a real Savior. Notice what he says here in 1 John 1.1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The word of life is another way of talking about Jesus Christ. He is the word. He is the word of life. He says, this is the one that I'm talking about. When we went to Disneyland um, a couple months ago, it was amazing to see all these characters. And there was one point where we were watching this little show. And, and it, was, it was real people, but they were dressed like Star Wars characters. And they were teaching these little kids how to, how to, how to use lightsabers, which were really about like the kinds of things that you buy at the dollar store, you know, and they just open up. And they, and, but they were fighting Darth Vader. And, 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 you know, and then there was a good guy, you know, you know not Ninja, but whoever they are, I forget now. But anyway, but and the, again, the boys were just—they didn't get—they didn't get to be the kids that were picked. But man, they weren't blinking. But they also weren't so sure they wanted to get real close to Darth Vader. He might have been like the hippopotamus and the, and the elephant. He might have been real too. We're not too sure about that. And he was a little bit scary at that point. And. And it's amazing 
how those characters seem real, but we know that they're really just people who are pretending, who are just, they're just dressed up like that. But that's what some people believed about Jesus. In John's day, and in our day, there are people, in fact, who who believe that Jesus Christ is not real, and that was the main one of the main reasons why John wrote this book, why he wrote this letter, this epistle to the church. At that time and that John was writing, and at the end of that first Christian century, there were people who did not believe that Jesus Christ came to the world in the flesh, that he came to earth in the flesh. And, and that's why John uses these, these tactile, uh, tactile uh, types of, of things. He says, he says, you know, let me describe this experience of following Jesus. Not only did I hear him, but he said, I did more than hear him, because there are people who will say, oh, well, you know what, I've, I've heard a ghost before. But he said, we saw him with our eyes, and we touched him with our hands. John is the disciple that Jesus loved. John is the disciple that Jesus leaned against his friend at the upper room at the Last Supper. He said, I, I have a personal experience, a, a, a real-life hearing, seeing, touching experience with Jesus Christ. And, and, and he says, that's why I write to you. Because there was a group that didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. And they were called the Gnostics. They're still around today. The whole, the whole, the whole angels and demons and the Da Vinci Code and all that kind of stuff is written by Gnostics who would say Jesus never really came to earth, that he never had a, a physical body. They believed that Jesus was a spirit, that he never took human form, because they believed that the flesh was evil and only the spirit was good. And so no way would Jesus come, if he is God, that would he come to earth and, and take a physical form because that would be evil, and, and he wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. And because of that, they developed these really strange theologies that were messing people up in the church. They were, they were messing with Christians' minds, if you will. And the Gnostics themselves were divided into two groups, two major groups. One group were the Stoics, and the Stoics answer uh, to, to the fact that we live in, in flesh and blood, that we are human beings with, that, you can, that you can touch and that you can hear and feel. Um, they said, well, it's evil, so we should beat it out of us. And so they would, they would beat themselves. They would flagellate themselves. They would take whips and they would beat themselves. There's still people that do that today. And if you watch the movie, The Da Vinci Code, or read the book, one of the, the antagonists, the really bad guy, he does exactly that thing. And, it's, and it's, we're just going to beat ourselves because, because this body that we're in is so evil and so vile, and we're going to punish our bodies physically. And then, then in, in contrast to the, to the Stoics, there were Epicureans. The Epicureans' answer was, well, if God is, flat, is, is not flesh and, he doesn't, and flesh is evil, then God doesn't care about our flesh, doesn't want anything to do with our bodies. Therefore, we can let our bodies do whatever they want. And so they just indulge themselves in every kind of, of indulgence and, and, and sinful act that they could think of. Gee, that sounds familiar in all today's world that we live in. Now, I want you to think for a moment. You've got Stoics over here who are beating themselves with whips. And, and, and literally, they would, I mean, they would tie, they would tie 
ropes around their feet and, and then dive off head first. They were the first bungee jumpers, but they would do that in over the side of the cliff into, into major thorn bushes and just shred their bodies. And then over here you got the Epicureans who are, who are party animals, but they're indulging in every simple type of thing that you can think of in a certain thing. Whose, whose group do you think most people want to join? You know, surprisingly, it was about even. About as many people said, yeah, we're going to go for Stoics. They said they're going to go with the Epicureans. But ultimately, they were both wrong. So why is that so important? Because the essence of the gospel is that Jesus, God, became man, became a human, and he died for us as a substitute for our sin. But both of these groups, whether it was the Stoics or the Epicureans, denied that Jesus Christ had a physical body. Not because that's what the Bible teaches, but because they were influenced by Greek philosophy. And that teaching was leading people to do ungodly, in incredibly unwise things, and they were just calling for that. And sometimes we can look at that type of thing, and we say, well, those are just silly theological debates. What difference does it make? What bearing does it have in our real world? Well, I want you to understand something that we don't realize all the time. And that is that our theological understandings, the things that we, that we believe and have an effect on pretty much everything that we do. That's the reason why today um, most of you, if you have a job, if you're still in the workforce, are not working today. When you were in the workforce, many of you never worked on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the early church said, this is the day that we're going to set aside to worship him. And God has said six days a week you labor and all those things. And, and, and one day a week you set it aside to worship him. And Sunday was that day. And therefore, uh, you had blue laws. And we still have blue laws in some states where, where businesses don't even open on Sundays. Not in California, but in other states that, that's, that happens in some of the Bible Belt states. Uh, and, and you can't just go. You can't find restaurants, maybe. And, and a lot of things that you and I would, would be able to do on a Sunday, you can't do because people just don't work. They set that aside. Where did that come from? It came from our set of beliefs, didn't it? It came from what we believe about what God said in his word. So theology always undergirds what we do practically, how we choose to live. And, and here's why this particular teaching was so deadly about Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus Christ never did come in human form. And that's because um, it, it was deadly spiritually because to believe that the flesh was evil would lead to one of two extremes. And that's what false teaching does. False teaching always leads to extremes, to, to, to two extremes. The first extreme that it will lead to, a false teaching, is that it will always undervalue our sinfulness. False teaching undervalues our sinfulness. If you're a Christian today, it's because at some point in time, you came to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins, didn't you? 
told you last week. Nobody woke up one morning and said, I'm now a Christian. I don't know how that happened. We, we know because we've asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior. There was, a, there was that moment in time when we made that choice. But if you believe that, that what you do in the flesh doesn't matter, then, then probably you aren't going to come to Jesus because you really uh, don't believe that you have sins that need to be dealt with. Either you're going to deal with them on your own, or, but most likely you're going to be over here in the Epicurean camp where you're going to say, you know what? It's just flesh. It doesn't really matter. So it's, not, it's nothing that has eternal consequence anyway. And, and that's how that permeates itself into our daily lives today. Uh, and so what do we do as Christians? We, we know that we've trusted Jesus to be our Savior, but we still, we still fall into this camp sometimes. And so, you know what, what it happens when it permeates our being? We begin to judge ourselves based on our intentions and not on our actions. Say it again. We begin to judge ourselves based on our intentions, not on our actions. Have you ever heard a Christian say, Well, God knows my heart. As if that is some kind of a free get-out-of-jail card. God knows my heart. I don't do what I'm supposed to do, but God knows my heart. He knows my intentions. Notice this verse. It's there in your sermon notes. When we begin to look at that, when we begin to say, does God really know my heart? Jeremiah says it this way, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We've got to be careful, friends, that, that we don't just think about doing what is right, but that we actually do the things that God wants us to do. There are a lot of Christians who know the right thing to do, and they're going to get around to it someday. But in the meantime, God knows my intentions are good, but I just don't do it. Jesus said in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you just have good intentions about doing them. No. He says you will be blessed if you do them. You've got to do the things that God shares with you to do. That's what real faith is about. That's why it counteracts this whole idea that is false, that is a lie from hell, that Jesus did not come in the flesh. He did, and we are to do the things that he tells us to do. Because you think about that. We don't give other people points for good intentions, do we? I gave you points for coming to church today because you're not watching the 49ers right now. On the other hand, if I were to say, you know, I really thought about you yesterday, and I, and I, and I... You know, you're you're a good friend, you're you're a member of the church, your family. But you know, and I and I really knew that I wanted to call you and I thought about you, but then I decided that I would rather watch friends on TV instead. So I didn't call you. Do I get points for you for that? No. You're gonna say, Well, gee, thanks a lot, Pastor. Why'd you even tell me that if that were the case? No points, right? We don't give points for good intentions. You know what? I don't find anywhere in the Bible where God gives points for good intentions either. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you're blessed if you do those things. 
But this is the kind of promote, this is the kind of teaching that says if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then it really doesn't matter. If we have a of a we have faith that is not based on a real savior, then we're in trouble. Secondly, it undervalues false teaching always undervalues our savior. It always undervalues Jesus Christ. That's the reason the Stoics would beat themselves up. They they didn't understand the gospel. They beat themselves up because they felt that it made them more spiritual or forgiven. But Christianity teaches us that Jesus was bit, was beaten so that I could be forgiven. And he was beaten so that you could be forgiven. Nowhere does it say that you are to be beaten for your own forgiveness. Because it wouldn't work. Only Jesus could do that. And, and there are people, and I don't know, you might be one of them today, who is still beating yourself up over things that happened in the past. And in some weird, maybe perverted way, you think if you keep beating yourself up about a past sin, that it's going to make you more spiritual. But that's not biblical and it's not godly. That's not what God wants for you. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him, the Bible says that God has forgiven your sin, that all of your sin in the past, he has paid the penalty for it. The past is now gone. God has forgotten that. He has put it away. So what are you beating yourself up for over something that God doesn't even remember anymore? He said, now is time to move on. You don't keep beating yourself up over those things because it won't do any good. I want you to to understand something. You or I are never going to improve on the cross. We're just not going to do it. Jesus died for sins that, that you and I are tempted to continually beat ourselves up over. And now you have to understand that you don't have to do that and you shouldn't be doing that any longer. See, believing in the gospel means that you believe that God forgives you because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the cross is the central figure of anything that we would put up or look at to remind us of who we are in Jesus Christ. In this very room that we're sitting in right now, I counted them this week, this past week, there are 105 depictions of crosses in this room. 105 of them. And now you're going to start trying to count them instead of listening to me for the rest of the time. I should have told you that at the end. But you can trust me, there are 105 of them that you can see, or if you walk around, you will see 105 of them. I'll tell you where one is, right there. Okay, so now you know where number one is, and and there's number two. All right, so you're going to do that now the rest of the time. I I thought about that, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to tell them anyway. Um, But that's how important that is. And, And yet, Satan says, oh, put the cross aside. You could do better. You just put yourself on the cross and beat yourself up there. And, and you need to do that. Now, if you're not saved, then you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because i got to tell you, you could, you could feel guilty. You can, you, can, you can try to do penance. You can, you can starve yourself. You can beat yourself. You are never going to beat yourself into salvation. It is not going to happen. 
you still have to come in faith to Jesus Christ and say, would you be my Savior and to be my Lord and trust him to come into your heart? That is the only way you're going to be saved. Now, does that mean that we should not feel bad about, self, about sin? No, and feel guilty? Of, of, of course we should. But it means that, that we shouldn't live there. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us uh, of that sin, and we experience guilt over it, but we're not supposed to live there. Instead, we're supposed to confess it, and we're supposed to, to, to be washed and, and move on with our lives. And, and so guilt uh, over our sin should... Should, should lead us to Jesus and confession. And, and that leads to forgiveness and restoration and peace. And that's the heart of a loving father that we have. When my kids were little, and they would do things that were wrong. They were PKs. We're pastor kids. They always did things that were wrong. And just like your kids always did things wrong, because that's who we are when we're growing up, and even as adults. But when they did things that were wrong, I wanted them to feel guilty over their sin. I want for what they did was wrong. And I would punish them to some extent, whatever it would be was appropriate. And then I would love them and I would, I would punish them in love, but I would also love them and then we would move on. Why? Because it restored our relationship, but more importantly, it started teaching them about a heavenly father who would forgive their sins and, and get them back on the track to move on. That was God's plan for their lives. And so by, by practicing that kind of thing, we teach our kids about our Heavenly Father. And, and that's who we are to be. So as Christians, you aren't condemned, uh, but you're not perfect, but you do have the cross. And it's not your cross. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that makes the difference. Very quickly, real faith not only has a real Savior, but it's experienced together. Um, in 1 John 1, 2 and 3, John says... The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, uh, excuse me, we, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus, or excuse me, when, when Jesus, who is God, created the world, the writer Moses tells a story with a cadence, with a pattern, with a, with a rhythm in this song that he writes about creation in Genesis chapter 1. And, it, and, and we read that when God created the world um, uh, on day one, uh, we, we see this wonderful pattern to this song. Day one, God creates the world and creates light, and it was good. Day two, God separates the waters and gives the sky its name, and it was good. And day three, God separates land and creates trees and seeds and plants, and it was good. And day three was this crescendo to the song because God says it was good twice. It was twice good, uh, he says. And in fact, if you're Jewish, if you are, a, especially if you are a, a traditional Jew, that's why Tuesday is the most popular day of the week for Jews for to be married because it was twice good. And so, if, and Jews, we get married on Saturdays. Jews get married on, on Tuesdays for the most part. Day four, though it goes on, God creates the sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. Day five, God creates the animals and the sea and the life and the birds, and it is good. And day six, God creates man, but here is where there is something that happens in the song. Here is where there is this discord. Here is where... Where there's, where there's something that's out of tune, if you will, or out of harmony. 
Um, because here's where we find a problem in the song, in God's writing. Because everything up to that point has been good and the rhythm of God's song has been flowing, but something is not good uh, and it's like a note out of key. And Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suited to him. It is not good, he said. What was not good? That man should be alone. God created us from the beginning to be in, in community, in relationships. We are not to be alone. We're not to be lone rangers. And the Bible uh, uses a word to translate the word that we talk about, fellowship. I want you to notice that fellowship is used here two times in, in this passage of, of, of 1 John 2, uh, or 1, 2 and 3. He says, we have fellowship um, uh, that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father. He says there's a fellowship among believers, and there's a fellowship with our Holy Father, our Heavenly Father. And he says that's what we were created to have. Now, the Bible uses a word to translate that word fellowship, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's much more deep than what we normally think. When we think of fellowship, we think of Fellowship Hall, we think of a, of a six-ounce cup of uh, styrofoam cup with coffee in it, and maybe a donut or, you know, something like that. But it goes much more than that. I mean, there's that's fellowship. There's togetherness there. But, but the word koinonia um, is a difficult word to translate because it's so rich in meaning. Uh, it, it means uh, oneness. It means unity and purpose and direction. It means communion. It means caring for each other. Those are the things that, I, that he's talking about. In Acts 2.42, it says, about this early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, and how many of you saw the movie, the, the Lord of the Rings? In the movie, The Lord of the Rings, and many of you did, or you read the book, there's a scene where they decide that they're going to band together. Um, and, and it's this weird kind of scene because you have, they have humans and you have dwarfs and you have elves and you have hobbits, and it doesn't make any sense if you've never seen the movie, but, but you have all these this disjointed beings, and they join together in one band in Koinonia. It is a, this, this great picture of Koinonia, of coming together and saying we can be one, and, and we can follow in where our mission leads us. And, and so they unite to this cause, and they learn to care for each other, and, and they're united to the cause, and they're united to each other. And that's the idea that John is sharing with us here at the beginning of this book. And, um, and, and, and that we have fellowship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that we can have fellowship with each other, he says, that's why it's so important that we have this foundation of faith. But it is always is to be experienced in community with each other. Um, on Sunday mornings, uh, a lot of you don't see this the way that I do, but it's kind of interesting because sometimes you have you have people who have very diverse backgrounds sitting right next to each other, and they may not even be aware of all the diversity that is there. And I'm not just talking about skin color, but you know, I'm talking about about where we've been in life and what we do and, and ages and all those kinds of things. And, and it's just kind of neat to look out at, at, at a church congregation and you see people who have banded together who said, this is who we're called to be, and um, and we see that happening in the body of Christ, and that is real faith. That's what we're called to do, that fellowship with one another, and then real faith has unexplainable joy. 
as we close today. There's this unexplainable joy when we know that we have a real faith in Jesus Christ. John writes it this way in 1 John 1, 4. We write this to you to make our joy complete. See, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances, outward circumstances. John says we write so that joy can be complete. Disneyland, Disney World, all the other Disney places um, are called the happiest place on earth. And, and they can write that, and, and, and it's a true statement because, I mean, obviously it's, it's always happy to go stand two hours in line to ride a 30-second ride and pay outrageous prices for fast food. And we pay a lot of money to do that. And then we come home and say, man, that was good. I enjoyed it. That was happy. That was happiness. But that's what John's talking about. John's talking about joy. Joy is very different. Joy is the inside work of God that he does when we walk with him on a daily basis. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.4. 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Did we see that before? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Who knew we were singing scripture today? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul writes that from prison. He's in jail. Is he happy? No. Paul never said, I have learned the secret of happiness when I'm in jail. I don't think he enjoyed any of that. I don't think there was happiness joy. I don't think there was happiness when he was in prison. I don't think there was happiness when he was beaten. I don't think there was happiness when he was stoned. And I don't mean by drugs, I mean with rocks to the point that he was dead and they drug him out of the city. I don't think there was happiness when they probably cut his head off eventually because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of that, there was an inner joy. And he said, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of joy. And the secret of joy is going to be having that real faith, a real relationship with the God who loves us. See, we're all going to face circumstances externally that don't bring us happiness. Because they're not going to be happy events. But real joy, real life-changing See it through to the end. Joy comes when we have real faith in a real Savior. When we experience it in connection with other believers. And all of a sudden there's joy that cannot be explained in any human terms. This is, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it to you, but there's this joy in my life no matter what's going on. And you know what? That's attractive to other people. That's what attracts people. It is that joy. Now, if you don't have that joy, then then maybe you need to figure out, do I really have that, do I really have that, that real faith in a real Savior? 
Or am I, am I committed to experiencing that, that real faith in a community of believers? And then am I sharing that and showing it to others so that they can be attracted to it? There's just something about that ministry that flows out of that, that touches the lives of other people, that just, just, just expands exponentially the joy that we have as we begin to share that with others. Now, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you never asked him to forgive you your sins, then, then you need to do that today, and you certainly can. Because Jesus came to die for you. And he invites you into that relationship. Let's pray together.